Hey guys, welcome. Today the show is brought to you by the American Solar Energy Society. They're a nonprofit that advocates for sustainable living and 100% renewable energy. They share information, events, and resources to cultivate community and power progress in the U.S. and beyond. They work with individuals and groups around the world to accelerate the transition to renewable energy and sustainable living. You can learn more at ases.org. Once again, ases.org to learn more about the American Solar Energy Society. Today, you'll be hearing my conversation with Wilden King Fishman, president and founder of the New York Solar Energy Society, vice chair and fellow of Solar Cookers International, and director of the Green Energy Times in New York. I have a lot of respect for Wilden. She is a wealth of knowledge, and she is absolutely dealing with an uphill struggle in terms of bringing renewable energy to the state of New York. And she shares some really awesome insights with us. Um, I'd like to welcome Wilden Fishman. If you want to continue. Nice. So we were talking about <clears throat> why I kind of wanted to, <clears throat> I think it's a pretty good way to start. This yeah. is why I'm doing it. Let's go for it. You ready? Yeah. All right. So thanks very much, Anthony. I've appreciated you coming and finding the New York Solar Energy Society in the way that you have. And I've been working in the area of developing more business for solar so that I could be a salesperson in the solar industry. And I've confronted barriers. And I've been working on the barriers to more solar energy now for almost 20 years. And it starts along the line of the myths, the myths the solar energy system myths. It's too expensive. Yeah, it used to be. I'm too old to benefit. It's ugly. Needs maintenance. It's unreliable. It does not work in the cold. It's too cloudy. It requires more energy to manufacture a solar panel than they can produce in their lifetime. Well, they, they used to be that way, but that's changed. Too fragile, damaged by hail. My home value will go down. The soil will be polluted. Solar panels can't be recycled. No one wants to see them. No one wants them. So where do we get these notions from? They're myths that are embedded. And time has gone by, and solar's cheaper than coal, and oil, and nuclear, all that extraction, and the constant need to have fuel delivered to the site. Renewable energy is based on free fuel. So you have solar with the sun up on top, then you have wind, which makes the the sun makes the wind blow, believe it or not. Then you have garbage, big mounds of garbage, and they have methane in them that can be harvested. And then you have the tides and the marine, which are constant. Uh, tides go in and out, that's a friction, can make electricity. Uh, waves, they crash, that's friction, you can make electricity. And then we have ground source heat transfer or geothermal, 
And that again is free heat or cooling from the earth. Here in New York City, it's 54 degrees, 10 feet down. And 54 degrees is mighty warm in winter and it's mighty cool in summer. So you're extracting free energy from inside the earth and you call that ground source heat transfer. If it's a volcano or a hot spring, you call it geothermal. So those are the five kinds of free fuel that are certainly available to us. And that's what we need to do to get rid of all the smoke, the burning, the heat that's getting trapped in our atmosphere. And here I ask Wilden to go more in depth about the dissonance and disinformation about solar energy. Well, you might be looking at zero education about renewable energy and energy efficiency in our public school systems. Many states adopted Common Core Curriculum, and Common Core Curriculum does not mention renewable energy or energy efficiency once in the entire curriculum. And it's a testing curriculum. You've heard kids have, the teachers have to, to teach to the test, and the kids have to study hard for testing. It's a very testing-based curriculum. Well, Jeb Bush owns the testing company. So we have kids coming home from school with no knowledge about energy efficiency or renewable energy. So the, the myths get propagated because the education is not there. Then I ask Wilden to discuss Sleepy Hollow, New York, a smaller town that's actually experiencing a bit of turbulence in regards to the acquisition of solar energy. So two and a half weeks ago, I found out a little bit more about solar farms. Solar farms is sort of the nickname for uh, a utility-sized array of solar panels or solar modules. And there are farms that got letters starting three years ago. Cypress and other companies began contacting farmers and saying, hey, we really want to lease your land and we'll give you $1,000 down, which is yours to keep. And uh, we'd like to do a to go out and do a proposal for how many megawatts we could put on your property. And hey, do you have a big telephone pole, uh, excuse me, electric uh, utility pole right nearby? Because we're, like, we're gonna need that too. And I, I think you do. So Mr. Farmer, we're ready to go, give us a call. And people, some farmers showed me the letter and I said, wow, that's interesting. Uh, and along comes a 50 megawatt pro, uh, uh, proposal for our, taking some farmer's lands, and turns out it's going to be a win-win for the town. Why? Because that farm pollutes the big local lake. And now that big local lake has tons of something called green algae, which is pretty toxic, especially in the heat of the summer. You've got 200 homes around this lake. They're pretty much worthless if you have a summer house on a lake and, or even a house any time of year, and you can't go swimming. Grandkids can't come up and visit and go swimming. So what are we going to... The farmer has a chance to stop using the tractor and all the fertilizer, put up the solar array. It's not really visible. They've managed to get this thing... They know where the trees are. They know where the trees aren't. They're going to plant a few extra trees, and nobody from the town will be able to see the different parcels of land that this 50 megawatts is on. 
but the town had an opportunity by home rule to vote no to any solar farms. So the farmer's going to keep running the tractor and putting down fertilizer, and that's going to run into the big old lake. And there you have it. It appears to me that a rural population in upstate New York is willing to sacrifice their real estate economy due to a lack of education on the subject of renewable energy. I asked Golden to kind of go more in depth. They th believe in the myths. They believe that solar is all going to be sold to New York City and that they won't benefit from the electrons. Electrons where they are generated is basically where they will be used first. They don't travel, okay, I'm an electron, I was established by this solar thing, I'm going all, all the way. The computer has told me that this electron will be sent all the way to New York City. They told everybody all the electricity was going to be sold to New York City. It's, that's hard to imagine. And even if it was, it still wouldn't matter because that, it, it just doesn't happen that way, but why burn more coal and oil or nuclear power in New York State and allow a municipality to say no, because it's home rule, they can vote no to a solar farm. And it's all based on the myths of pollution. Yet they're sitting on a lake that's totally polluted. And DEC has said that they're going to lower the lake. And the dam doesn't have a way to let the water out. So it's kind of interesting. So how are you going to, um, what is your role in the, in the situation? I'm hosting a conference on Friday, November 30th, and the last forum will be municipalities and solar farms. What do you plan on, on saying? I can't wait for, uh, to hear from the speakers who are actually from installation companies. Oh. I'm more of an advocate. You know, I, you can't sell much solar in New York State. It's a beat job right now. Uh, the towns that host, let's say you have a house in a town. First thing they're gonna say is do the permits, do this, do that. Nope, we don't allow it. Okay, we don't want it. It's a fire hazard. Fire department doesn't want it. And they can really keep a homeowner from having solar on their roof. The next thing you have is a big, huge belt of frackers. And the fracking population of New York cannot stand anything to do with renewable energy. And they sit on all of these town boards and they refuse to allow permits to be granted for solar electricity. And actually dealing with an electricity uh, in your house requires having good, strong laws. And we need good, strong laws. Like an electrician should know how to hook the thing up correctly, right. And the plan should be on file with the town, right. I like good strong laws, but they can in turn say, look, we don't like your permit, you're not getting approved. And here I ask Wilden to go in depth on her perspective of the midterm election. Well, I guess it'll look a little bit better, I guess, uh, come January when we see what happens in Washington and then more importantly in New York State. I think that uh, we now have gotten rid of this infection that we had for so many years where we elected Democrats who caucused with Republicans. And then we never got any of our bills out of the uh, uh, legislation that we prepared up in Albany. For instance, 
We've had a bill for, this will be the fourth year, it's a three, four sentence bill, and it's called Homeowners Association, and the Homeowners Associations can say no to solar energy on the roofs inside of a Homeowners Association, and they do. And that's one of the bills that we could get it read in the assembly, but we couldn't get it out of the similar committee in the Senate. Why is that? You're looking at um, the biggest contributor of money to any election campaign in New York State, just about, I mean the big campaigns, are, it would be the utilities. We have five very big utilities in New York State. And they are governed somewhat by the Public Service Commission. The Public Service Commission, all those chairs are appointed by the governor. So the governor needs money from the utilities to have a stronger campaign. So the money to the heads of the committees in the Senate and the Assembly for their campaigns generated in good part by the utilities. The utilities are another source of the myths. They go around and say things like, there's not enough sun. The utilities make sure that the people in the municipalities and the people who are elected to office know how to say, there's not enough sun. And then they, the new thing is, well, you know, Joe Bob, who runs your volunteer fire department, he works for the utility, and Joe Bob won't have a job if we allow solar. So then you won't have a head of your volunteer fire department. And these are the things that we literally hear in the capital of New York. So utilities have been running the show by keeping all the old stuff in place. Well, they're a monopoly. Public Service Commission in New York State only has three chairs filled right now. The governor should have, could have, maybe wanted have appointed more people into the chairs when they emptied out. It's the same thing over at the Insurance Commission. The governor appoints the chairs. Governor Cuomo has a, a, a handle on several commissions that affect and, and state agencies that affect solar power in New York and, and wind and all kinds of renewable energy and energy efficiency. The other one is the state agency. It's the governor's second floor operation. It's his cabinet. It's his agency. It's his commission. These are the, the triumvirate that run insurance. Why did, you, why did I say insurance? Because our worker compensation for solar power installers is 25%. It should be 10%. Same as roofers and tree climbers, guys who work for landscape companies. No, that insurance commission is untouchable. There's no way to legislate to change and make them form a solar installer class with a 10%. You know, some states have 6% worker comp. That's causing a solar system to cost a lot more when you have worker compensation at 25%. And work 25% is a default number. They need to have a classification. I thought it was legislation for the longest time, then I found out it was the insurance commission. Hiding behind their doors, doing business behind doors, keeping it so that the worker compensation for solar installers costs an arm and a leg. And it's been the downfall of, of companies like Level Solar and others. So they're purposefully inflating the price of solar energy. Yeah, and that's called a soft cost. Huh. And unfortunately, 
I've seen millions given to the City University of New York Sustainability Group to reduce soft costs. They never touched permitting. I think they got to 60 towns and we have 1,500 different municipalities in the state of New York. They never did with that. It wound up being two and a half million dollars. First it was a million and then another million and a half to go out and make it so that towns understood permitting for solar. And they also never got rid of the insurance. Problem with this 25%. They didn't deal with the insurance commission. And they got all that money. And somebody I know says they just dumped it, in, dumped it into their general fund. They didn't deal with it. So we have soft costs that are very high in New York State. These are some of the obstacles that you're, you're facing. Yeah. These are obstacles and commonly called barriers. So another barrier would be the uh, time it takes for an installation to take place. In New York City, it's two and a half years. And what happens is the customer gets frustrated. When am I getting my solar? When am I getting my solar? And a solar installation company in the city of New York has to have a separate person hired just to usher the paperwork through the Department of Buildings. Not enough desks, not enough trained people, not happening, big barriers right there. The fire department helps with those barriers. We have a lot of older housing with flat roofs. And I've spent a lot of time with city officials explaining that flat roofs kills solar because the egress for a fire person fighting a fire in the city of New York requires five foot area between the edge of the roof and the solar panels all the way around. And that's good. I believe in strong permitting and laws. That's good. But sometimes the gateway to the roof is two inches short this way or that way. And because most of our housing, that's pre, see we've had codes that have changed that egress to the roof. And so now we have uh, a lot of older building stock, all the old townhouses and everything fight this problem. And what'll happen is the Department of Buildings will issue the permit and the system will be going in and the fire department will come out and they will find the solar installer and say, take it down. And this was three years ago, it became such a big problem. 45 solar installers met in my house and had a big, huge meeting and complained and explained it thoroughly. And I went to the city council people and stuff and worked on it. And how did that resolve? Still got problems. So the fire department would consider them an ally? What happens is the building department issues a permit and the fire department comes out and says, nope, and gives issues a fine. I've got all that in chapter and verse, but that's a little bit too deep in the weeds. Mm -hmm. So just communicating with the fire department. It just, they have the right to say no and we don't like it and there isn't a way for us to fight this fire. It's the same thing as saying if you have 
In the United States, we build with wood and stick. In Europe, you mostly have tile roofing. It's a very different building community over in Europe. More stucco, a lot less what we call stick built. And here in the United States, we have a lot of wooden houses where if you have a big fire, you need to vent that fire by chopping a hole in the roof. Well, guess what's up on your roof? Solar panels. So there's a big, huge stink because you've got to be able to shut off that electricity up there or somebody could get shocked anytime with a fire. So we have these extra meters that are mandated for if there's an emergency or if your electricity is cut off because you've got a outage in your neighborhood. Then if you had a fire, what do you do? Well, to tell you the truth, if you take blankets and you throw it over the panels, they simply cannot produce any electricity. So there is training for fire departments and it is available. And, and that really could go on the myth list. Fire departments were very scared of this whole thing and they made a big stink because you could get a fireman could get electrocuted or a line person could get electrocuted because a house is producing electricity that's going down the wire. So we put brakes in place. <coughs> the, be the best brake to put in place actually is a battery system. And anybody who has solar energy should have a battery backup system. And that is the very best way to control what goes back out over the line from your house if there is an emergency and you're, or, or you just have a, a blackout. That's kind of drilling down into the weeds. So when it comes to this hearing that's coming up, um, what's the name of, of this, this town? So they've had their moment. That was a, that's Athens, New York, which is north of Catskill. Mm -hmm. And the lake area is called Sleepy Hollow. Sleepy Hollow. Yeah. But there are two Sleepy Hollows that I know of in New York. One's just north of New York City, but this is up closer to Albany. So in Sleepy Hollow, if, I mean, you are a, a just a processor of information. You're a weapon, I imagine, in this hearing. So what are you going to do to maybe... Are you going to get a chance to speak? Oh, this, uh, no, not, no, I'm hosting municipalities and solar farms. Uh -huh. Everybody in the audience is free to speak. We'll have three speakers, but then uh, the, it'll be very much question and answer. And some of the speakers before this will be explaining the laws. I can't wait for Friday. And I'm sorry we aren't able to videotape it. We did ask for some people to come uh -huh. in and videotape it, but they you know. Yeah, I didn't get, it's very, very expensive. And that's why I want to also bridge this information into webinars. So I look forward to producing webinars along these lines. Where would those webinars be released? Through the American Solar Energy Society, the professional membership level, and the technical divisions. So the technical divisions of the American Solar Energy Society will offer webinars to the professional membership of which there are a lot of engineers and architects. I was thinking it'd be very valuable if you had a chance to speak at one of these hearings. And I'd have. The, the ones that I've spoken at, I think, have matured now. We have an amazing thing that's happened in New York City. There's a public hearing coming up on a new committee. And it's, it's a directorship, and it'll be called the Office of Building Energy Performance. And I could not be more excited. I read 31 pages. I have, every time I thought, oh, I'll find a loophole. There'll be something missing. 
Nope. I found auditing and databasing and fines and new construction and existing buildings and oversee legislation and policies. It's going to be good. And this will help the mayor begin to curtail the tremendous amount of building energy waste in New York City. When is that going to take place? At a public hearing? Yeah. Do you, know, do you have the date for that? That's December 4th at 10 a.m. in good old City Hall in downtown New York City. Just ask for the community room. Any more obstacles you'd like to touch on? All right, yeah. Nothing, nothing. So, what I, would, I want to talk about all, I want to touch on the culmination of your past and your abilities and all your leadership um, spots and all your posts. Um, could you please list those and kind of just, just touch bases, touch base on, on some of the some of the, the places you've been, the things you've done um, in terms of leadership? Well, I guess I, uh, you know, the, the, it was a long time waiting to see another activist generation come into being. And I guess uh, a lot of us said, bring the boys home from the Vietnam War. And I began to cut my teeth at that time with what it meant to march. And when you have a problem, the best thing to do in the United States of America is to get out and march. Might be two of you, might be one of you, it might be 400,000 of you. Marching is one of the very most significant things you can do. And with countering the Vietnam War, we marched. And then there was this dry spot until really, I th we, a lot of us think of it as the Parkland high school kids from Florida and that travesty. And it seems like it opened up an amazing amount. It just set loose a determination where people were going to really begin to confront some of the ills in the United States of America, beginning with the proliferation of automatic, uh, you know, AK-47 type guns in the hands of white, pe white men, for the most part, who also have mental issues, for the most part. And the lack of mental health for the shooters that could be available to them, the prisons that became receptacles as they enter, as uh, post Reagan, all of the hospitals were emptied out, the mental health hospitals, and people were schizophrenics on the streets, and then they get jailed, and then they don't have medication, and they get, don't have any help. And just recently, we're seeing skyrocketing numbers of suicides in jails like the Hudson County Jail in New Jersey. Just skyrocketing. So, the Parkland kids haven't let go. And they were poo-pooed, and that was a gigantic mistake. Seniors in high school turn 18 and can vote. 
seniors in high school turned 18 and were drafted into the Vietnam War Army. So we've had this many generations in between that just didn't understand that your government, people in government were telling you, oh, you know, you don't need to know about this. It's, I've sat at dinner tables in the South where you were told under no uncertain circumstances to talk about politics, much less government. It's considered dirty and we don't talk about it at the dinner table. We were confronted by Rush Limbaugh's radio station with his venom and virulent hatred of Hillary Clinton and how much he polluted this nation and how many radio stations were bought up because they changed the laws. And now we have a couple of corporations owning all of our media. And then came the Parkland kids. And I feel like they have turned the tables and that finally it's that group of people that turned out to vote in this last election. And you were asking me, what do I think about what happened? And I'm amazed. I'm, I'm, I'm so thankful that kids have seen what it happened with Afghanistan and Iraq. I'm sure there are many, many cousins and brothers and uncles who came home from those wars. 200,000 damaged souls with PTSD and a VA that was barely functioning and the need for so many more trained mental health doctors. And these kids saw it. And these kids had a school that perhaps was a little bit more privileged, a high, slightly higher income neighborhood. Maybe they had more civics, but in our schools today, in most schools, you get no civics training. Uncle, Uncle Sam is not the guy who you wanna, the government's no good. We need to reduce the size of government. Well, I'm sorry, I really was gonna get this group together to help me manage my stinky green lake up there, but oh, the government's been reduced. Well, I really wanted to have somebody help me with my clean air problem. They've put in this fracking plant and it's smelling up the neighborhood and I really need a group of people to help me and oh, uh, government isn't open for that. So the lobbyists have won. Another place, foreign money can be buried into our campaign finance easily with enormous funding coming into PACs where we don't have the right to know who's in that PAC that's giving that money. Well, that's not right. We're not supposed to have foreign entities funding campaigns. So I think we're on to something. And it, my training started out there over with the Vietnam War and I was going to Quaker meetings in Cambridge and I found out about the Air War show and I brought it into my church, home church here in Riverdale, New York. And I uh, went and got the War Resisters League, had the, the, the trays of slides about the Air War and about the pellet bombs, and I presented that. And that was the beginning of really taking steps uh, to do what I could to help end the war and educate people to, as to what was really going on and how the atrocities were happening. So I guess I got multi-dimensional training. The League of Women Voters posted, oh, you know, we're having monthly meetings and every month it was a different subject. It might be clean air, clean water, good government, education, educational finance, 
the league was following all these different areas. And I got trained. And I became a moderator for political debates. And it was the best time. It really was wonderful. Excellent training. Same time, the League of Women Voters lost the right to do the presidential debates. And I can tell you, our presidential debates became nothing but TV shows. working with the league, moderating debates, having a really good time, and going out and speaking uh, Women's History Month at a prison, try getting in there. That was exciting, and they had a lunch and learn at the prison. And I, somebody crossed my path who I'd known kind of, she was a videographer, and she says, you want to start a solar society here in Dallas? I went, yeah. So that was like 2000, in 2000. And then we turned around and we started a chapter of the Texas Solar Energy Society, which is a chapter of the American Solar Energy Society, which is a chapter of the International Solar Energy Society. It's still going great. Dallas-Fort Worth has a huge national solar tour, wonderful group of people that coalesced, doing great things in Dallas. I came up back to New York to take care of mom for two and a half years keep her in her home, and the folks at the American Solar Energy Society said, can you start a New York chapter? Can you start a New York chapter? You gotta, you gotta, and I did. So that's how I wound up in New York, and every year it's been tougher and tougher because of Albany and the city of New York. I've watched our entire movement for energy efficiency and renewable energy go backwards in the state of New York. We have been hit with so many defeating programs. As the state agency says, hey, let's do community solar. And then they never finish publishing the toolkit. And all these people want community solar. And then they pick their favorites. And I just, you know, I've seen a little bit too much and I've been following one tiny sliver in New York for 14 years. And I just can't seem to move that forward, utilities still have a lock. They have a lock on with campaign donations, and they have a lock on legislation as well as the Public Service Commission and the state agency. And I refuse to have a conference where the state agency becomes one of my sponsors or any of the utilities be my sponsors. And that's kind of put me out in Siberia. It's all right. Right now, we have a perfect amount of stuff. Oh. So anything else you, you want to touch on, we can, I can Let's do it another thing. Let's do, let's see if this thing flies. Yeah. And how the demand is, because then we'll just yeah. ramp it up. Yeah, because this is like, sweet, has all this information, beautiful narrative. Great. You had a, you had a couple solid, like two questions did all of it. Two questions and you had a monologue Unfortunately or fortunately, I can no. definitely yeah. say I'm lucky I have um, communication skills, which... Natural orator. By makes, the um, gift really from my parents. My parents were both, you know, my dad was in public relations. My mom was a community organizer. So, so would you like to leave any words of wisdom for... No, I think we should just see if the darn thing flies. And I can tell you, everybody in my society could all...
Hey guys, thanks for listening. Um, as you noticed, the audio had come from a field recorder I brought to have a conversation with Wilden out in the field. So thank you for your patience if, if you found it a little quiet. Um, but there you have it. Uh, a brilliant mind with a lot of passion working on something that is or should be important to us all, at least in my opinion. Um, again, if you have a message and you would like to be a sponsor on the show, please reach out to me at info.opcpodcast at gmail.com. We would love to share your message. Um, stay tuned for another episode, guys. Thank you.